0: would like to open with a, uh, just a short statement that uh, as we proceed through tonight's meeting, I'd like everyone to keep in mind that we are continuing to make a uh, request to our listening public as well as our trustees for anything you'd like to learn uh, as we proceed through our finance committee and get into the process of approving this year's budget. This is our first time as a group going through this process Um, And we have learned many things about supplements and public financing of uh, hospitals and institutions and how complicated that is. And I want to just share a quote uh, that I shared during our all-day board retreat on Friday from Audrey Lord. The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And a reminder that we are not attempting to dismantle this house of ahs but we are instead building it stronger uh, than it was and that will be our continuing goal to continue to build ahs into a better institution Um, and another quote from the first century from cicero who said that freedom is participation in power and the definition of power that i like to lean on is power with not power over so this is a process that we all get to participate in and i'd like to continue to inviting participation from everyone Um, and with that we will move into item b1 of our agenda which is our cfo report
1: can everyone see my screen okay so this is the march financial report in advance. So this is the uh, volume highlights. Uh, just as a reminder to everyone, when we did the budget for this year, we did not attempt to try to uh, figure out what the COVID impact would be. So we used our budget as if COVID was not happening. Um, so in regard to our cute days there, we're about 14.1% below budget which is a little more than the 11.8 year to date. However, our discharges are much closer to budget. They're missing by uh, 2.8% or 45 compared to year to date at 11.1. So we had a lot more patients in the hospital and a lower length of stay. Uh, On the ED visits, we're still quite a bit behind budget at 23.6%. And that is consistent with prior year. So the ED volumes have definitely dropped and remained low. A Couple bright spots this month. If you look at surgeries, we're actually basically at budget where we have been running, you know, 27% behind. So, and then if you look at the mix between inpatient and outpatient, The outpatient um, has been almost 40% below budget. It was only 11% this month. So it's a real good indication that a lot of folks are coming back for elective cases. And uh, it's always good to see that, you know, the inpatient uh, uh, surgeries are up as well. So those are are some good uh, bright spots as as well as deliveries. We're actually above budget on deliveries. So those are some happy um, indicators. And then another one is the clinic visits we're still running ahead of uh, budget in this particular month 18 percent year-to-date four and a half percent so patients are getting in this is the overall financial report we're still um, running significantly below budget our net income is a loss of 5.5 million which is 4.6 million behind our budget uh, year-to-date We're at a loss of 32.1 million, which is 34.6 million behind budget. And EBITDA, that is earnings before interest depreciation and amortization. That is our proxy for cash, cash generated from, uh, from operations. We have a negative 2.9, which is 3.7 below budget. And on a year to date, 18.6 million, which is 44.7 million below our plan. Next slide is uh, the revenue slide. Um, If you look at the gross patient revenue there, we're about 14.9 million below budget or 4.8%. Again, consistent with the volumes you can see year-to-date we were 9.3 percent so we're closing that gap in and just to remind everybody that that's the pre-COVID right so we're 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 restoring operations back Uh, and then if you look at the mix between inpatient outpatient and professional you can see in the current month professional fees are up consistent with the clinic visits um, but we're still seeing uh, you know, over a 10% drop in outpatient. And again, we talked about, uh, particularly the ED being way below target. On the net patient revenue, we're at 16.4% collection ratio. That's slightly behind budget. It's consistent with year to date. Um, in the budget, we had assumed that we would successfully negotiate the FY21, rate increases with the county we are talking to the county in fact we have another meeting with them tomorrow Uh, actually Friday excuse me on Friday Um, and those rate increases will be retroactive to July 1. those were built evenly in the year we don't know what that will be yet Um, and there's also uh, several increases built in the budget for our contracting strategy. We wanted to get all of our ent- entities contracted uh, and we're still in negotiations um, with the payers. So I, I think we are planning to bring back how we're doing on that uh, strategy in July.
2: So a question, Kim? Sure. Um, on the county uh, rate increases that haven't been negotiated yet, have we accrued any increase at all or are we going to have a bump? uh, 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 uh retroactive bump when we finally get that signed
1: we have not accrued anything for that increase so we will have a bump good and that's okay. why we're below budget here is we budgeted it evenly all year and we have not realized it mostly because we don't know what the rate increase will be so that's the main reason for not accruing for it and then down at the bottom there um i wanted to point out under other operating revenue um we are running ahead of budget 752 in the current month and uh that's scripts uh it's uh, we did some analysis it's 600,000 favorable for our outpatient prescriptions uh typically we run around 12,450 a month we're actually running at thirteen thousand two. So there's been a nice pickup there, and, and we're seeing that in our revenue. Um, everything else is pretty consistent on the year-to-date basis. On the expense side, there's a couple variances I wanted to focus your attention on. Um, there are the purchase services. It's unfavorable, uh, 950 or nine and a half, or 15.4 percent negative, and it's been positive year-to-date. And the other one I'll talk about is the uh, facilities because it also is negative this month, almost 20% and it's positive year to date. Purchase services are unfavorable because of a timing difference on outside medical services. We processed invoices of over 600,000 in the month. Uh, This has uh, been an ongoing issue for Alameda Health System. Uh, We are actually engaging in a process improvement with our team to try to uh, process these invoices in a, in a faster way. We're working with our vendors to do that. Um, but some of these invoices go back a year or two years and sometimes longer. So there's a big delay in getting approvals. Um, it's a little complicated in the sense that um, for some payers, they will try to bill another payer first and then come back to us as, as a last resort. Right, so there's a lot of, a lot of uh, things going on with that. Uh, and, and from time to time, I, you know, I've had to report on these, uh, on these hits. So this is one of those months, um, and that is uh, the reason for it. Um, also too, uh, as a newer board, most of these uh, outside medical services are purchased for HPAC patients. Those are the, the county um, indigent um, patients that we're at risk for uh, and also ambulance services, which could be for any payer if we needed to to transport them. Uh, The second item there is security and those additional costs are all COVID related. We've needed to provide security in in different venues for COVID vaccines uh, and it's an unbudgeted cost. In regard to facilities, um, it's really just a timing issue. We have a new vendor called Commercial Energy and it just took us a while to get them set up in the AP system to get them paid. Uh, and we had slightly higher repair costs in the month of March. However, year to date, we're still running below budget. Okay. Moving on to the uh, labor slide. Um, I want to focus your attention on salary and wages and registry. I usually look at those together. Um, So for the current month, we are 1.3 million unfavorable. Year to date, we're 14.4 million unfavorable. You may recall last month, we were pretty much on budget on a combined basis for salary and registry. Uh, And I had said that I had expected that to to reoccur because the COVID leaves of absence had stopped. Um, And that is true. Um, in the current month, we settled the CNA contract and we paid out two million in uh, retro payments to close that contract. Um, in next month, we will uh, settle the uh, SEIU contract and we'll also have a negative variance. In fact, the SEIU contract is a really is a, a large contract covering many employees. Um, IN THE REGISTRY FRONT, WE'RE ACTUALLY RUNNING LOWER THAN WE HAVE BECAUSE WE'VE TERMINATED A LOT OF REGISTRY COSTS AND I DIDN'T WANT THAT TO GO UNNOTICED. OUR RUN RATE HAS BEEN 4.5 MILLION IN THE CURRENT MONTH OR 4.2. AND MY LAST COMMENT RELATES TO THE FTEs. WE ARE NOW SEEING THE POSITIVE VARIANCE THAT um, NOW THAT THE COVID LEAVES HAVE ENDED, SO WE HAVE A POSITIVE VARIANCE THERE OF 369 AND YOU'LL SEE THE uh, TREND GRAPH IN A MINUTE and have a we'll have a graphical representation of that everything else is pretty consistent with what I've been reporting so if there's no questions I'll move ahead I've got a
3: question Kim sure yeah go back to the labor cost so
4: what is the uh, variance going to be uh, I guess this month for the SESCU that's one question and then what other in terms of labor settlements and what variances do you expect going forward not just in this fiscal year but the next fiscal year because i'm like what's the what's the hit going to be
1: i don't know that we've uh, settled the agreements yet lorna's on the uh on on the uh zoom i don't know if Lorna wants to speak uh the yeah she's going off mute so i'll let her respond
5: Hello. Um, sorry, I'm having some technical difficulties here, but um, we haven't settled all the labor agreements. We're going to be going to the full board meeting um, next week with um, three other agreements that we have TAs on. Um, they also involve back wages, um, and we're about to we're about to be engaged in two new contract negotiations: one with UAPD and uh, the other with UHW and Local 39. So we, have, we do have several other new bargaining contracts coming up this summer, but we don't know the total. So what's the high and low? Well, for the three contracts coming to the full board next week, there'll be a retro between 2.5% um, for the bargaining unit, um, going back to when the contract expired, and then 3% going forward, much in line with the other contracts. Um, but no total but um, you, cost yet.
3: So you don't even have an estimate?
5: Um, I don't think that we've turned in an estimate to Julie yet. We, I mean, I, I could have it by the full board meeting. That's usually when we give it, is during the closed session. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Any other questions?
1: So here's the graphical representation. Uh, And again, just as a reminder at the high point in December, we had 195.6 FTE out on COVID leave. And uh, we typically will build in additional FTE in the budget during the winter months. Uh, This year, we didn't have the uh, increase in census, um, but normally we would have uh, increased FTEs to cover the winter months. Um, but you can see the, the paid FTEs actually crossed in that November, December, even with that additional um, bump for seasonality. Uh, and you can see that nice drop there in March, um, which is the, represents that 396 positive variance that we just talked about. So
2: moving on to the balance sheet, I have a question on the oh, on the info statement before we go into the balance sheet. Um, it seems like from a volume perspective, the one service that really hasn't looked like it's starting to bounce back from a COVID low is the emergency department, and um, you know that we're still running about a twenty two twenty three percent variance both from the budget and from last year. Um, and I think the ED is probably uh, one of the more um, profitable service lines for us. Uh, I imagine that w- that when we get some uh, when we get commercially insured patients through the ED, we get paid on a pretty high rate if they're admitted and even for their ED visit. So my question is, how are we going to budget uh, for the ED for fiscal 2022? So we. Patient
1: budgeted back at pre-COVID levels. And we'll, we'll provide a whole presentation on, on this um, next month at, for you all to approve the budget. Um, but we, we, the ED visits are not, we didn't have an increase and there might be even a slight overall decrease in ED for the budget as I recall, but very close to where we were pre-COVID.
2: So you're expecting the ED, that the ED will bounce back?
1: we have that is one of the things we've been talking about at budget oversight Um, but at this point yeah it's pretty close
2: okay well I I guess uh, that that's something that uh, members of the board might want some more information on, on the logic it's hard to know whether people are are just got have gotten out of the habit of going to the ED and they'll gradually come back or whether it's a permanent change in people's behavior for getting their health care.
1: Yeah, what, what really drives our uh, income is the trauma and the commercial trauma cases. And those um, have come back. Uh, the ED visits themselves, not so much. Um, it's really driven by that trauma. So that might uh, um, make the variance not be as significant as you might think, uh, Trustee Fox. Okay. So here's the balance sheet. Um, Just a couple comments here. Uh, Great news on the days in AR, and I'll show you a slide here in just a minute. Um, The net position, again, that's the the position of AHS overall from a financial uh, perspective is a negative 309.6. We started the year at 277.8. And again, what drives that is our loss. And then the net negative balance is is basically our cash flow, right? Um, Because everything everything that we collect goes against our line of credit, and we draw down off the line of credit to pay all of our vendors and our employees. So that is basically cash flow. And you can see in the month of March, we did have to draw more down on that line of credit. Well,
2: great job on on the reduction in AR days. I mean, that's a big drop for one
1: month. Oh, look at this, you'll love this, Trusty Fox. (laughs) So we decided that we should share some patient collection information. So the first three columns are FY21, and that's uh, what's still being collected uh, from the legacy vendors that we had. I don't know if everyone understands this, but when we went live with Epic, we knew that our staff could not work in two different AR systems. Uh, they needed to learn the new system and they needed to, you know, stabilize us. So we outsourced the, um, existing AR on our legacy systems in which we had many of them and they're still, uh, collecting cash. I did do a report on how well they were doing, uh, probably last November, I think. Um, but it's now been way over a year. So we've, we're fully reserved. So all of this, uh, any cash that comes in the legacy just, uh, improves our bottom line. Um, but the epic collections are the next, uh, row there. And if you add the two together, you get to the 416.7. And then I've put the FY 20 in here at 425, 599. You can see we've already surpassed that, which is, a, is great. This was the stabilization year because we were, you know, um, uh, implementing EPIC. But then if you go back the previous year, we were at 562, 247. We are already at 98 point or if I annualize this year, we will be at 98.8% of that, which is phenomenal when you consider COVID. Our COVID volumes dropped off in the... um, April timeframe, 30%, right? And then we're still down around 10%. And yet we're already going to surpass the pre-COVID period in cash. So that has really had a favorable impact on us. Can I
0: just make sure that I understand exactly what's happening here? So collections means things that have gone past 30 days and we're collecting over time, a past due account?
1: This is Was the this cash every, we received uh-huh. in each month. This is just how much cash came in on patient accounts. This is just regular old billing. It is just cash. In July, you know, in, uh July of 2021, um, on our current uh, AR, our cash collections, all of it, went into the bank, 37,178. dollars So this is just cash in the bank. And then um, here's the days in AR.
0: Uh, And I just ask for clarification on that. The numbers before EPIC, so that 2019, we were getting 45 million in July. 2020, 48 million in July. And then 2021, COVID is a little bit less.
1: 37, correct right but you can see we more than picked that up
0: absolutely but we
1: got all this money from here and it's that's uh, right it's a really good picture and you know especially when you figure we had a the, the substantial reduction of volumes indeed well done and then here's the days in our ar graph and uh, we are at the lowest we've been and we at least as uh, as far as I can tell, lower than AHS has ever been in history. So um, they're doing a good job. We still have opportunities. I definitely don't want anyone to walk away thinking that our our entire revenue cycle is perfect. Uh, Terry is going to give you a, a full presentation tonight, and you're going to see a lot of areas where we still have work to do. But we are doing a great job. So this is the forecast of the line of credit. Um, again, last year uh, we were quite a bit below the mark despite COVID and that's because of CARES funding and this other money that was given to us, uh, most of it being, you know, these items being advanced. So it's kind of artificially low here. Um, we did pick up um, from last month uh, and so I've, I've just called it out here at 15.7 million and 9.5, that was the cash I just showed you. The rest of it is just some timing um, of inflows of cash between the fiscal year. And then um, we did receive notice um, that the FY12 old waiver is going to come due. Uh, In other words, they're ready to settle. I haven't gotten the demand yet, uh, but I expect that I will get it right around mid-May. And then typically we have to turn that around and pay it um, within a 30-day period, which would be be before the end of the month. So we would make the IGT to pay it and then we'd return it around before the end of the month. And that's what we're assuming is gonna happen here. Um, I did call the state and many of us participated and James was on the call with me um to ask for uh you know some sort of uh you know forgiveness uh you know loan um, something to help us because we don't you know have cash available to make this payment and the state was open to listening to us and i am going to submit a request um that would allow us to pay this back over a pretty substantial period of time i don't know how it will be received Um, but I do plan to uh, get that out maybe by Friday or maybe early next week. Um, I want to get it out to the state before the demand comes. Uh, So with that, I don't know, James, if you want to make any comments, you were with me on that phone call. I I really felt the state was um, open to helping us and it was a really positive exchange.
4: Yeah, they were very receptive. I was pleased with the tenor. Um, <clears throat> you made the appropriate ask, which was, is forgiveness an option, which they were not inclined to do, but they were open to a reasonable time frame projection over which we would <clears throat> make the payments. And so, and they didn't prescribe it for us. And so I felt pardoned um, by their receptiveness to us giving them a plan, which they will respond to. Thank you. So this graph, how does this
2: graph reflect that waiver payment?
1: It's this red line right here.
2: Okay. So you're including it as, as, get, as if it's getting paid this year.
1: Yes. I've assumed that it's going to get paid. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the other IGTs that might cross the year end. But if this was the only issue and everything else went as we have planned, we would be in compliance with the NNB at the end of the year. And then this uh, blue line here um, assumes that our operations will continue at the same level they've been meaning capital, you know, every, you know, our our draws will stay about the same. We're going to end up replacing this with budget once we get it approved. Uh, but even with, you know, no improvements, if we were able to, you know, hold all of our costs to the last year level, we still would go over next year. So we'll, I want to point that out because it's a, it's very important to realize this is not our budget here. So that won't won't happen until we all approve it. Any questions before I move on? Okay. All right. Yeah, so
0: when, just about the state waiver and the, the repayment plan. Will we get the details of that? Uh,
1: I I plan to submit it to them. Um, so I, you know, I, and then of course, you know, we would risk, we would let you know what we requested and what they said. Absolutely. Great. Do you have a, any idea how long it'll take them to say that they like our request? When, I email, I'm going to call them <laughs> and talk, try to talk to them, you know, and, and really try to, you know, engage with them. Um, they did say, because this is so old, you know, from so many years ago, they said that it, it does um, give them more latitude and what, how they work with us. So that was a really positive statement.
0: Great. Great. We won't have to make the payment in 30 days.
4: That's my hope. <laughs> and Kim, Kim, one other thing: they noted that we are by no means the only hospital in this situation. <clears throat> there are a number of hospitals in similar circumstances, and they are, you know, mindful that this is a burden, and so they're willing to work with us as well as the others.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, just going back to that line where the the net negative balance touches the the limits. Um, yeah, the limits of the permanent agreement. How are we accounting for that with the county?
1: So this red line has been over for a year or more, two years. Uh, we've been, when it, we've always told the county when we have to pay these recoupments, we're gonna go over the line. And that this is not anything different uh, since I've been here and probably years before I was here. I meant the blue line. The blue line, since it's so far out, we have not, you know, typically, um, if we think we're gonna go over and, and you know, we, we can't prevent it, we would let them know. This is so far out. There's a lot of runway for us to do performance improvement. We haven't done our budget. I mean, to, to do an official notice to the county, I think would be, you know, grossly premature for this, uh, for next year. Um, they know our financial situation. We've clearly laid that out and I have been showing us going over next year again for, you know, 18 months or more. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So this next table here, um, this was actually done at the request of the county because they wanted to understand the large um, fluctuations of, you know, the big dollars coming in and out. Almost all of this is supplemental. I mean, the net patient service revenue comes in pretty evenly. Uh, So this is really all about supplementals. Uh, So the big change is in that first line there, the waiver. So I'm saying that we're gonna do an IGT of 45.4 million in May, we'll get 10 million of it back in June. And I, I think that's pretty predictable. And then I have now based on that same phone call, put the rest of the IGTs in July, August, and September. Um, So on the telephone, the state told us that they thought they would have all of this done by September 30th. Um, We've heard this, you know, we've heard this before. I know COVID has had a lot to do with the delays. Uh, We had thought this all would have been resolved by last December. And I think even um, there were times before that, where we thought some years might have gotten closed earlier as well, but they were pretty confident that it was gonna happen by September. So what we did here is we put 10 and 11 in July, 13 in August and 14 and 15 in September in this. Um, But on that call, The state also told us that FY13 was looking close to settlement and that's a big year for us. That's a lot of money. So what they said is they would uh, entertain, you know, some repayment options as these close. They were not interested in saying, okay, let's look at all of these together. They said, let's just handle them one by one as they close or as they settle. So that's what we're gonna do. I have another little note here, basically just saying, you know, we did have to draw more on the line this month, but we really haven't. And we haven't driven that um, taken off the line anywhere close to what we had predicted when we did the budget last year. And I just need to remind everybody. Yes, we've got the loss. We talked about that. Uh, We did make one of the waiver payments, the 09. Our patient cash and measure A are running much better than we had expected. We did receive the COVID relief, big help to us, but the CapEx is still really what's driving our our keeping our NNB below where we had thought it would be. As a reminder, we had built in 60.8 million, and as of this point in time, we've spent 15.4, so that difference is really helping us with the NNB situation. Okay. Any questions before I move on? Okay. So there is the potential that we will have a problem and it's being driven based on this old waiver that we just talked about. That's coming due. We know this is coming in May. I don't expect that the 13 one that the state says is the next one's gonna settle will happen in this fiscal year. I still could be wrong. I don't know that, but I didn't put that on here. Maybe I should have, but there is um, just going back, there is this um, net amount here um, of 4 million, which obviously wouldn't be enough to, to really drive anything one way or the other, but, If FY13 came due, that's this 20 million seven. So if we ended up having to have to pay that, it would make this current situation or worst case, even worse. Here we are almost, you know, the first week of May, we haven't gotten the demand for 12 yet. We know that one's coming. Could they actually turn another one around in June that we would have to pay? I don't know, but probably just to give the worst 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 possible case I probably should have put it here but I wanted to tell you that it was that it was looming based on that phone conversation with the state last week then we have these two IGTs that need to be made for QIP and for rate range so these are the IGT amounts that we have already paid okay so we have already sent these that happened on April 23rd okay so I didn't know last month exactly when these would happen but they have occurred we did send them out on April 23rd the state takes three or four weeks to process those and then the plans can take about 45 days before they turn around our funding to us so it's possible these could be lingering at June 30. It's really close. It's, you know, it's within maybe a week or two, right? So what happens with the county is if they have provided the funding for us, which they did, they will move this to our NNB and we could be out of balance when you add all of this up, which I've done here, worst case, we'd be over. 71.7 million, if ever, nothing went our way, okay? But this is real and we're in May and June 30 is the deadline. So uh, we've all agreed we need to serve notice to the county that this could happen. And the county knows that I have communicated with them. They agree uh, from a technical standpoint, we need to do this and that um, it is beyond our control. Okay. We can't control the turnaround of the state and the health care and the health plans Alliance and blue cross. Now blue cross usually takes a little longer than Alliance, but Alliance in the past has actually given us an advance. They don't like doing that. It is a lot. It's burdensome for them. We haven't officially asked them, but they do know that we have this situation. Maybe they can turn this around a little faster. I don't know, but as we get closer, we'll probably be having those conversations with the leadership at Alliance. So my footnotes down here uh, are, are um, basically assume the worst. So we're saying we're not able to negotiate something with the state. Again, I think we will be able to. Um, you know, the timing's out of our control with the Alliance to Anthem, but Alliance may be able to turn theirs around quicker. They usually are quicker than Anthem and they have given us advances in the past. And um, if we do give notice to the county that we may not be compliant with the terms of the line of credit at June 30, they could say, well, then we are not going to give you the 14 million for the capital designation fund. Okay, because it's tied to us being compliant with the NNB. Now, when I talked to them, they didn't uh, say that they would hold this back. Um, but again, worst case here, meaning that nothing went our way and you know, we, uh, we fell out of compliance. So we Question wanted to give you all of this background and try to explain all of this to you since we do think it's appropriate to provide the county with the notice. Yes,
5: Trustee Fox.
2: Okay, I'm a little bit confused about the workings of the capital designation. In your write-up, you said that the county could hold back $14 million of the FY19 and FY20 capital designation. So does that mean that they haven't provided the capital funds for those two years? That um, is correct. And we have
1: said because we've given notice on the NNB that we were not entitled to it and they denied us. We are producing invoices now for those years and they know they're coming and so I've talked to them about it. They're expecting them.
2: So if that happens, do we have any ongoing capital projects that if we don't get this money we could be in default on paying?
1: No, all of our uh, debt is with the county. um, So that's not an issue. There's another fund where uh, we can uh, draw money down to improve or to maintain county-owned facilities. Um, That's also in my letter there, which is a a different fund. But no, we're not at risk there.
2: So note to chairman, chairperson, esteem, This is an area that I I would like some education for the board on, how the whole capital funding thing works, because we have all of these terms that I'm not familiar with, and I I just don't understand how it works. And uh, the working capital loan and and stuff like that on the balance sheet, uh, I couldn't answer questions on it. But then what, that kind of gives rise to another question, though. It, let's say we do a, a reasonable-sized capital project, like we're replacing an MRI room, and we have a $3 million contract with with a contractor to do that work for us. Does the county always guarantee that payment or become part of the, every contract like that that we do?
1: No, no. Um we have a we would have a difficult time getting somebody to loan us money because of our structure so typically we would do a purchase agreement and then as we made pay, as we paid for the equipment we would draw it down on the line of credit or we would just rent and you know rent the equipment and pay a rental fee
2: how about for an improvement like a, the improvement to a to a room that we might have to make in addition to buying the equipment the improvements could be you know, two million dollars. When, when we sit down with a contractor and and, and have a, and put together a contract for a, a building project or a renovation project, do we sign it, or does the contractor understand our situation with the county and uh, and and require the county to co-sign for us?
1: It's a great question. In my tenure, that has not come up. Uh, typically, we've been able to sign the contract, and then we've just made the you know, payments, you know, we haven't done a, a lease agreement or we haven't done a borrowed money in my tenure. Um, but tip, we don't have, you, you can see our balance sheet. There's there's not, there's not, nothing really there for anyone to loan against. So uh, I don't know if anyone else on the, uh, I don't know if Mike is on or Maad's on, but uh, if uh, anyone has any history that I don't have where we've needed to get a guarantee Ooh. from the county
3: Thanks, Kim. This is Amon. So we had one situation where uh, um, recently uh, the contractor was requiring us to get a guarantee from the county, but uh, if we didn't get it, it would just be more expensive, Uh, Trustee Fox. Okay. So it sounds
2: like if we're doing a capital project and the county withholds capital designation funds and we need to pay a bill, we just pay it. Uh, And it goes against the NNB anyway.
1: Everything goes against the NNB. In fact, that capital designation fund really uh, is how we are supporting it with the invoices is the ongoing operating costs of Sapphire or EPIC. That was the the capital designation fund uh, was established to help fund the um, electronic medical record. So we fund, we give a 7 million and they give it back. So we kind of go back and forth each year. So there's, you know, you're right. We should, we, we probably need to do an education session. It's too much to, to, to throw in tonight. And we should probably talk about the capital designation and also the capital cost fund and the NNB and the permanent agreement. Okay.
0: I want to thank you for giving us this worst case scenario slide. I think it underscores just how complicated everything is and, um, how all of these, some very old bills coming due can have not just impacts on how our net negative balance moves, but impacts on how the County can fund us or refund us when we have laid out expenses. The capital designation, um, $14 $14 million
1: would be related to the EPIC expenses, right? Or the Sapphire expenses? That is the interpretation of the language from the county that that we need to provide invoices for um, for maintenance for EPIC, because this, this designation was set up to support the uh, electronic medical record. Right. Um, I feel like it was either in our April or March meeting,
0: there was a $7 million payment coming is that one of
1: these
4: that yes, we're referencing now
1: okay yes so we pay 7 million and then they return 7 million back right. um so, so it's it's uh, they have not given us the last 2 years because we have given notice on the nnb and so now we're going to give notice again so that could impact getting the 14 we still plan to pay them our 7 in june so Absolutely. then, that would become twenty-one million if they don't pay us the fourteen. Right. And just to get clarification on that,
0: because uh, I don't have the language in front of me, but even if we give notice on the the NNB now, is it possible that we could recoup those funds from the county at some later date when the NNB is no longer at risk? We are uh,
1: continuing to put it on the balance sheet because we believe yes that we that they should release it once we're you know not in out of compliance with the NNB in fact we've uh you know I've tried to argue with the counties basically saying we we met our NNB the last two years so please release the 14 million um and uh they haven't been willing to do that until you know I guess now because they know we're invoicing they asked us to invoice them so, and they've reviewed the um, expenses for EPIC to determine if they qualified, and they have told me they do. So, right. you know, we're, we're working with them, and, you know, they're working with us to try to get this paid. Good. Recording in progress. Recording okay. stopped.
0: Well, I hope that all of this uh, advanced disclosure and the request for the invoice is actually. A, positive sign yeah
1: no you know I have you know I have every you know they've I believe that they intend to to get this paid it's just that with this situation with these um with the waiver coming due for 12 and these two IGTs hanging out over year end normally these would have closed you know a month earlier it's COVID that I think delayed everything right so I know in our in our letter, we will, you know, definitely make it clear it's a it's a timing issue of this of the turnaround of these IGTs that's driving us to be out of compliance. So that alone, perhaps, will allow them to release the 14 million, knowing that it's just a timing. It's really literally a week. Uh, could be a week. <laughs> could be a day <laughs> that we're over, if, and right. maybe not at all.
0: Right, well, let's hope the state doesn't get too efficient and send us too many invoices all at once.
1: (laughs) That is my presentation. Um, And does anyone have any other questions?
0: Thank you so much for that. I would like to make an adjustment to our agenda because I've been informed that Trustee Flandorio has to depart Uh, in the middle of the meeting and may be able to return, but just in case uh, we end before he gets back, I'd like to shift the agenda so that we get to our action items in section D now in advance of B2, our COO's report. Um, So if everyone is okay with that, we would move the contract discussion to this moment. Uh, Is that okay with you, Mark?
3: Yes, absolutely, absolutely, thank you, um, Trustee Deans, There's two contracts um, tonight, um, both pretty straightforward. One is a contract with our current security services called Allied Universal. They've been our security service and providing us with security guards, et cetera, for the past three years. Their contract expires 630 we are in the process of RFPing um, our security services after the three year mark. And we've asked an extension with them for another three months to get us through the RFP process. So the extension over the course of three months is for 1.8 million through 930. We know at that time we'll have made a decision on um, a security vendor. Um, Certainly Allied Universal um, is more than able and willing to um, provide a bid if they would like. So that's where we are with this. The rates are unchanged um, under the proposed extension. And if there are any real detailed questions, um, our director of security Amal is, um, Amini is on the line as well.
2: Move approval.
3: Uh, I second.
0: Yeah, I, unless we have public comment, I think that we can move to a vote on this.
3: Uh, trustee uh, Steen, uh, Madam Chair, so are we moving to approve both contracts here or one, the, the D1 and D2, just to be clear? Since we've only heard about uh, D1, we should if, take Trustee vote esteem separately. if you'd like, if you'd like me to move into two, I can do that very quickly.
0: Trustee Fox, are you okay with holding your
4: motion? Yes.
3: Okay, okay thank you. Um, our second contract is um, year-end again, 630. It's a th- three-year contract starting July 1st with Affirma a Rehabilitation. It's for $2.5 million. Affirma has been a great vendor providing PTOT speech therapy in our skilled nursing settings. Um, these services are really specialized. We do not have them in house, so subsequently we go out to the market to get a vendor to do that. They've done a great job in helping us optimize our revenues um, over the past three years. Richard Espinoza on the line here um, is very high on them, and the contract is for another three years through 63024 for a total of 2.5 million dollars
0: unless there are questions or concerns, uh, I think we can entertain that motion now.
6: Well, if Alan doesn't want, if Alan doesn't want to make it, I will. Oh, I'll um, make room
4: it. recommendation sir. to the, okay. I,
2: I, I thought you were basically doing it, but okay. I would extend the motion to include uh, both contracts.
4: And I will second uh, Alan's motion to recommend to the full board approval of these two contracts.
0: All right, uh, board clerk, will we please get a roll call vote?
1: Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox.
3: Aye.
7: Trustee Slendoria. Aye. The motion passes, thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Emeny and Mr. Espinosa for joining us. And we will move back into uh, B2, our COO report.
3: Yeah, um, Mr. Espinosa, who you just mentioned, Trustee Esteen, is here to give his business unit um, report um, regarding post-acute services. So I'll turn it over to you, Richard. Great. Well, uh,
8: good evening, trustees, and thank you for having me. If I can share my screen, I will share my report can you all see my report great I trust that you've all had an opportunity to review it so I will move quickly uh, through it so uh, you know due to COVID we still have some restrictions in terms of how we're admitting patient units we still need to leave red rooms which is for positive patients open so that that gives us about 16 beds that we can't utilize like we normally utilize because we're holding them open between all of our sites in case we have any positive uh, patients and so we've been uh, struggling to maintain or to achieve our uh, budgeted census but we've thought out of the box by opening items like the COVID quarantine unit so here I've shared uh, just some of our admissions since we've opened the COVID quarantine unit at Fairmont Yellow are patients that are um, unknown as to whether they have COVID or not. Reds are uh, positives, so patients that we admitted into our unit that were positive. Uh, I was asked by Dr. Tornabani and Dr. Hussain to give a more in-depth overview in the CQU in the next QPSC, so um, you will all hear more of why we did this, what the benefit to the community was, um, some of the outcomes that we did, so I I will go into more depth in that meeting. Um, but we did, uh, as we work closely with the county and we work closely with public health, and I sit on the public health subject matter expert uh, committee, uh, it was an agreement that as uh, folks were getting vaccinated and we started to see the number of positives drop dramatically uh, in all sniffs throughout the county uh, and in our hospitals, that we didn't really need the unit uh, as it was intended during the peaks of these um. Uh, So on April 21st, we all agreed that we would close this unit. So it is now closed at uh, Fairmont. So the yellow and red zones have moved into the B building at Fairmont, which is a requirement and the CQU is closed. So we should see a labor drop in our finances in May right since it's closed on the 21st. So we we will see the first um, uh, results of that hit in May. And and to be clear, the staff that we used in this unit were SANS or they were part-time staff that were making up hours to get to more of a full-time classification. So no no folks were laid off or anything of that nature in order uh, to close this unit. I will move on. I think it's important to kind of demonstrate where our admissions were coming from for this unit. And so you can see our three hospitals are at the top here. Um, And when we talk about throughput, you can see specifically for San Leandro, Highland, and Alameda what that throughput has looked like month by month. We've also worked with other hospitals um, and other SNFs, boarding cares who had issues where they couldn't house uh, positives. So we've helped uh, those locations as well. Really, you can see when we opened, we had eight um, patients and then just moved to 36, 52, 56. uh, And we're pretty steady for our building uh, at the size of 34 beds. So really quick turnarounds um, and really helping in the community and these hospitals, as you can see, you know, really in um, February taking, you know, 20, 36, 43, just within. So uh, pretty uh, helpful for our hospitals to prevent them from surging and for reducing length of stay Um, I'll go quickly we've had 61 percent of admissions were into our post-acutes from within our system uh, in March Uh, we currently have a SNF partnership program that our case managers and us work with in terms of uh, making sure that we have more access to SNF uh, beds there were 18 admits into those facilities Um, our discharges are ahead which is great we've been able to discharge folks back into the community Um, We've had some great success uh, in our CQU discharging folks back into the community, which I'll share when we, in QPSC, in more detail. Um, And our outpatient rehab waitlist that's where we're struggling a bit, and and that's largely due to the number of patients we can see while maintaining the six feet of separation and keeping people safe. Um, But when it comes to our charge timeliness, our goal is 100 percent Uh, And we're currently at 98.93%. So pretty close to being perfect on that for our outpatient rehab
2: group. Uh,
8: As I presented last time, we had just come out of our acute rehab survey and we knew that uh, it had felt that it went really well. Um, Out of all of the findings from CARF, uh, they found 0.5 of an issue. And, and that issue was that uh, one of our documents still said Fairmont Rehab rather than San Leandro Rehab program, uh, and one was just uh, when we're discharging folks, giving them the accessibility of some of the programs that we work with. So uh, really minimal, uh, but great news. The team did phenomenal work, and we re- we ach- we achieved the highest accreditation possible, which is three years. And so. That means that um, when it comes to rehab standards, clinical standards, our processes, our programs, that based on CARF's accreditation, and, and uh, Mark Fratsky used to be a CARF surveyor, so he can really appreciate this, um, really deems the excellence of this program as being top-notch. Um, in what we do. And this is an international accreditation. It's just not local, but it's an international benchmark that's used across the world. So really uh, kudos to this team for remarkable work.
2: The so question, Richard, yes. for this accredita- for accreditation, we, do, we, we supply our own employees as a therapist, unlike in the, in the uh, long-term setting, unlike the contract we approved a few minutes ago, this is our rehab unit, top to bottom. Is that true?
8: Uh, to some degree, yes. So the therapists in our CARF, because it's acute setting, are our therapists. We do have a partnership with uh, Rehab Care, which is a kindred partner who specializes in uh, acute rehabs in terms of changes to billing processes and from functional independent measures to performance evaluation measures so things that are changing within CMS we have their specialty Um, but in terms of the staff it's uh, our staff um, less about five uh, uh, partnered uh, or contracted employees and it's our management too right Uh, the program manager is a kindred person who reports to me it is our uh, nurse Uh, director, which is our director, and it is our medical director, uh, physicians uh, who run the program. So there is a program director who helps manage that.
2: Congratulations on the accreditation.
8: Yeah, this is the second time they've done this back to back, which is just uh, pretty phenomenal that uh, the teams have done great work. And so we've really been able to grow this program. Uh, And then again, some of the metrics, uh, the discharges from rehab to SNF are at 8.9% on a budget of 15.5, which is great. We want lower numbers, right? Um, Our labor on this unit is a little bit high. Part of it is due to the CMI, the case mix index, the complexity of the patients that we've been seeing. When a patient is more complex, their CMI score goes up. The length of stay tends to go up a little bit and they tend to be sometimes a bit more expensive in terms of care. Um, And so when you look at some of these metrics that we look at our average daily census, not too far, you know, 24 to 23.6, still in that 24 range. Our case mix um, was pretty high at 1.6 and still pretty high at 1.4. So that all kind of follows with the length of stay, right? A higher case mix index with a complicated patient does lend to a little bit longer of a length of stay, but the group has done phenomenal work with discharges, uh, 56 discharges in the month of uh, March on a facility that's licensed for 28 beds. So great job from this team. We have some of these uh, metrics that we show here in terms of discharges and goals. Uh, you know, Our average daily census, our um, the 60% admin rule about Medicare. So all of them are pretty you know, on target or ahead of target. The one that we're really working on is our functional efficiency. Um, we do have some work to do, and that's partially because uh, last year we did move from a FIM model, the functional independent measures to PEM, uh, which is a CMS change, uh, which is performance evaluation measures. So just a different way of monitoring this, and the teams are uh, really working on making sure that we get to that target of 4.4. I will continue we do have as I had mentioned a contract with uh, rehab care and within the contract we have some built-in metrics and so where we want to be what we want to see and so uh, based on where we are with our population who does struggle with having that support at home who does have struggles with housing not all but a big portion of our of our patients that we serve we wanted to make sure that every year upon every year that we were doing better and better on our metrics so on a goal of 15.5 for discharges to sniff for the year we're at 14.25 which is green falls uh, we, we did have higher falls last year and we've been able to drop it for a percentage from 7.5 Oh, excuse me totals from 7.5 to 5.3 uh, patient satisfaction is above our target of 87 at 88 Discharge to the community is above target, so we're sending more folks back home. Uh, And then unplanned returns to the acute, we're well below uh, not only our target, but as if you look below here, this is from what we call UDS, which monitors acute rehabs. And so we're MK87 benchmarked against the region and nation. And so uh, discharge to the community, you know, we're on target with the nation, slightly below the region. Unplanned returns to acute were well below the region um, and the national average. And then discharge we were above. And and again, that's largely due to our population not having family at home to support, maybe not having a home. Uh, So really um, working on that process with our case management team, our social work teams, and trying to provide the support and services that our um, population of patients needs. You can see our case index is uh, slightly higher than the national and the regional so our patients are a little bit more complex pretty close and then again average length of stay uh, falls into that same category of helping our population with housing and support services so a little bit longer due to case mix index and um, those additional support services that we're uh, assisting with. Functional gains we're really proud about this you know our gains are higher than the region and the nation, meaning that our patients outcomes are better. They're stronger. They're they're leaving stronger than they came in and leaving stronger than what we're seeing within the region and the nation. So really great quality outcomes that we're seeing with our population of patients and then functional efficiencies really, again, that movement from FIM to PIM um, and working on those efficiencies. So we continue to focus on the metrics. We continue to benchmark against best practices. And, and the other thing I would say is that most ARUs are largely Medicare populations. We're quite the opposite, right? Our biggest population is Medi-Cal. And so, just to, so when we benchmark against others, it's important to understand that we're not necessarily apples to apples. We're not completely different, but we do have enough difference that it does impact some of our numbers. Uh, we'll move on to the SNF and subacutes. Uh, you know, CMS in March, again, has uh, ranked our Alameda Hospital TP SNFs as overall five-star uh, facilities, the highest you can get, as well as in health in health inspections and quality measures. Uh, in March, also, the Fairmont facility was rated overall quality five-stars with five-stars in quality measures, staffing and RN staffing. So. Uh really remarkable to continue to see this uh, happening continually. I will throw in uh, a little caveat that in April our uh, Fairmont SNF did drop to four stars, uh, but largely due to some of the data that we're inputting for our COVID quarantine unit. Those patients were not healing as fast um, as quickly because when you're positive and you're not able to get back up and do rehab as quickly. Um, there are metrics that uh, CMS wants to see you improving. And so some of that improvement wasn't as fast as normal because of those uh, factors, Um, but we anticipate they'll get back up to five uh, this month. Uh, Again, our readmission rates for our SNFs at 15.9, the California state average is 22. So we have very strong programs in place uh, to make sure that we're identifying any changes as quickly as possible uh and then our covid vaccination rates are at 85 uh, percent for first vaccines and 82 percent for second so uh, just a huge congrats to our rns LVNs, cnas evs engineering fns the entire team who really makes this possible at all of our sites um, without their commitment and dedication this wouldn't be possible um, and so just kudos to the team Um, and as I shared with Mark the other day you know to be consistently five stars not always but mostly um, is a huge achievement that's done by our teams our staff Uh, sustainability uh, we were looking at our expenses we were slightly over mostly due to the COVID quarantine unit which is unbudgeted Um, and so that also brought in unbudgeted revenue right? So you, you, they both go hand in hand. For satisfaction, uh, the facility at the ARU is at 98% satisfaction on the budget of 87. So our patients are pleased with what we're doing. And in the SNFs, we're looking to do our satisfaction surveys uh, in May. It's been difficult. Um, We normally do it twice a year, but in a year of COVID and then a, a year of outbreaks and then a year of vaccine, um, we've postponed it and probably not the best time to do a satisfaction survey when there's so much happening and people aren't allowed to leave their rooms or get visits. And so we we know what that outcome it would look like. But with the opening up of visitation and CDPH and public health opening that up, um, it's been great to see those reunions happening in our sites. So for labor, we were over budget by three hundred and thirty-six thousand as a unit, but three hundred and six of that was for the labor in the CQU. So for nine different operations, they were about thirty grand over those nine operations, which is mostly overtime that we're looking at closely. But other items that were purchased that were necessary. Um, then overtime, as I have here, we're looking at very closely. Overtime's been tough for post acute as. We're testing staff weekly. Any staff that shows up positive has to be quarantined. If you have more and then they have to be quarantined. And then if you use your sans, uh, which is what we try to do to replace, um, but then we have a potential outbreak status. Uh, it, it just rolls into um, over and over the need for overtime. So the teams are looking very closely and how they're monitoring this on top of staff who might be um, out on a leave or a workers' comp. And so, uh, you know, we're looking at that as well very closely. But the teams are very focused on this to make sure now that um, we have about 70% of our staff within our post-acute who are vaccinated, um, it should lend to, and it has, uh, we have seen a decline in the amount of staff that is turning up positive last uh, revenue gross charges for posterq for the March uh, for March were 30 million uh, on a budget of 26.4 so a positive variance of about 4 million and then year-to-date gross charges are two million on a budget of 232 so a positive variance of 28 million. Uh, and then overall expenses um, for the SBU in March were 72 on a budget of 69 and again 336 of that was the CQU. And so that makes up a big portion of that. I think that concludes my report. I'm happy to take any questions. Okay. Uh, Well, thank you for giving me the time to present this evening. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, post-acute high ratings continue to speak for themselves. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Uh,
3: now we're going to move Kirsten, into... Christine uh, yes, Steen, um, just one comment, and, and it's really to, to comment on Richard and his team. Um, the SNF areas and acute rehab areas are so highly regulated. And to, ha- to get the results that Richard and the post-acute services team are getting, is really good and it, you can see it in the results on the surveys um, and everything they're doing. So I just want to you know, publicly give Richard um, and the post-acute care team and staff the kudos they deserve for getting the results um, for our patients.
8: Thank you for that. The, the teams work very hard, but I appreciate that, Mark.
0: Thank you for taking the time to say that. I think you're exactly right. Uh, Their team is working super hard and managing COVID-positive patients from all over the community. It's a very good thing. Uh, Now we're going to move into Section C, one of our agenda, Sapphire Revenue Cycle.
7: Thank you. Um, I'll share my screen, and thank you for inviting me to present this evening. I'm going to be talking about Um, the components of the revenue cycle. Please let me know if you can see my screen okay?
0: Looks good.
7: Okay, thank you. I'm gonna be talking about the components of the revenue cycle and how those components are defined and measured in EPIC. And just as some background and an overview, um, you know, we we did go live in EPIC in 2019, October. and we talked about legacy systems in when Kim's presentation, but going live on Epic replaced 14 different legacy systems. So there was a lot there um, that were just different disparate systems. And we consolidated those into um, the revenue cycle wide platform. And this allowed us to consolidate reporting and integrated clinical information. And with that, Epic gives us many tools um, to track and measure our performance and improve transparency. So, for this presentation, be mostly educational uh, for purposes. And I used Epic's Financial Pulse reporting tool, which compares us to other safety net hospitals that are multiple sizes in 16 service areas across the country. And EPIC also provides many other reports and dashboards to access and um, monitor our key metrics. So the focus of this presentation is to talk about hospital billing, and I can do a similar presentation any time for this group on professional billing, because in EPIC, um, they're separated, so easy to do. And EPIC also provides us with financial status review benchmark reports. And this report highlights our strengths, opportunities, and improvement percent over time by metric. It's a very good report. Um, In this presentation, we'll talk about opportunities and um, this benchmark report that I just mentioned, I can come back and share at any finance committee. So here's the revenue cycle um, circle actually, starting at the very beginning with scheduling the appointment going through all of these processes, ending with patient collections, reporting and benchmarking. So we're gonna talk through these components, starting with scheduling. So really, um, scheduling uh, revenue cycle begins as far up front as possible. um, With When the patient calls to make an appointment, when we're scheduling that patient, we want to obtain the correct demographic and insurance information. This ensures clean claims going forward and overall a better financial um, experience for the patient. The scheduling function is performed by the department that the patient will be seen in, or they can call the central scheduling call center, and then surgery does their own scheduling. Some metrics that um, we have the ability to track is um, appointment scheduled on time, appointment volume, payment collection, um, and then specialty referral backlog is another metric that can be tracked. Then the next step is registration and financial clearance. So this process um, by the patient access team um, consists of obtaining correct insurance information, timely reporting of the admission to the payer. If we don't report timely, they're gonna deny the claim. Um, as well as financial screening for our patients to help them when they need it. So we want to make sure that our patients that are uninsured, that we help them qualify for any government program, charity care, financial assistance, anything we can possibly help them with. Um, We also start the Medi-Cal application at the time the patient is in the hospital, which will qualify the patient for presumptive Medi-Cal on the spot. Some patient access accomplishments, Um, they're doing really well. You know, I've talked about candidate for billing in this um, meeting before. So patient access is at an all-time low for claims held in their owning area for candidate for billing, and this allows claims to just go through and bill faster. We've been doing some standard refresher trainings for the staff with processes and expectations. And then they're doing a very good job in ensuring their claim edits and account edits are resolved quickly so we can get those claims out as soon as possible. So some metrics that we want to track but are not in process right now but we're working on, we want to know what the registration accuracy is per user. We really should establish a cash collection goal for Upfront and then monitor how we're doing against that goal every month. Um, What's the average registration time? Um, The accuracy, again, of a clean registration and that weight, patient work queue volume and trending, and then denials due to eligibility. So I can get denials due to eligibility now, but some of these other things, we just need to put something in process so we can track those metrics.
2: Um, Question, Morian? Do you Are you able to electronically verify eligibility during the registration process?
7: Yes, we use a um, real-time eligibility tool, and that brings back that information that we need, and we're able to bring that into Epic. Yes, we depend heavily on that. Next, we want to make sure our charges are captured and they are submitted timely. This is a very busy slide, um, but here I just wanted to show that Out of Epic, there are, um, and this is the Financial Pulse, and it's, um, Financial Pulse is usually for the previous month, so um, a lot of the things I talk about here are, you know, current, our dashboards update every day, but Financial Pulse looks back at the previous month, but we do have ways to track our um, our charge lag, what percentage charges are on time, if I can make this um, simpler, we wrote a policy um, where charges should be posted within two business days from the data service, um, and we monitor that. These, um, This looks very high here, and if you remember, we had those 340B claim holes, and that distorted our average charge lag time. So that affected um, these uh, charts and graphs. So by next month, this should look a lot more reasonable. Um, And these also are based on three days and not the two days that we um, asked for in our policy. So Revenue Integrity um, is a department within the red cycle. And I just wanted to um, talk about the things that they're responsible for. They're responsible for our CDM. They set up um, new CPT codes, revenue codes, um, and pricing for non-pharmacy and non-supply or implant charges. They provide charge capture support, working with the clinical departments, as well as reviewing charges for errors and anything that needs to be um, completed before billing. They provide charge reconciliation support, education to our departments and providers and performing daily reconciliation between services performed and charges posted they write the policy and did write the policy actually for charge capture and reconciliation they work on our annual pricing review they update prices gross charge amounts um, to ensure that we're in alignment with other like organizations they do various other projects, all CPT code and charge-related. There is a department within HIM. um, It's called Clinical Documentation Improvement, CDI, and then uh, works with coding and documentation. So the CDI CDI team reviews charts on a concurrent basis um, for our in-house patients starting within 24 hours of the admission and then they review daily until the patient is discharged. They um, query physicians, if information in the chart might not be documented. And when that process is complete, the accounts go to the coding team under HIM when the patient discharges. And any chart with no deficiency goes directly to the ready to code work queue. It's coded rather quickly. The team does an awesome job and we can get those claims out um, very quickly. CDI also performs a post-coding review for accuracy. So the metric here is defined by the number of days of revenue held up in coding past the bill hold days. So our bill hold days are five. So our, um, our HIM department has done an awesome job ongoing. They get they get many um In looking at financial posts, they get many epic trophies. They are always um, in line with the top performers or beating the top performers. The current days as of April 30th for HIM was under one day. So they were better than this top performer on April 30th. So uh, that team does an awesome job. Candidate for billing, you're probably familiar. I've talked about this before in our group. Um, we are doing, uh, we're doing much better with our candidate for billing. The metric is defined by the number of days of balances that have passed bill hold days but have an error. So it's anything that is that is eligible to be billed, but there's an error on the claim, so it can't go out. It's measured here by financial pulse. That's how we measure. Um, we monitor our dashboards daily, Our CFB days as of April 30th was 4.4. We have, um, I remember not that long ago when we were trying to get to the the lowest performer, then we were trying to get to the mid-performer. So it now seems very much in reach that we're getting to be in this top performer range. Um, It takes consistent work. You cannot take your eye off of this for a moment. And we have a work group that continues to meet two times a week. Claims processing, we want to make sure our claims are as clean as possible so they can get out immediately to the payer without having to stop and have somebody fix something. This area needs a lot of work. Um, Right here is our clean claims percentage out of EPIC. So um, the top performer is getting their claims 62.4% clean out of EPIC. We're on the low side, 40, 41%. When they go out through the claim scrubber, they're at 93 to 95 percent clean. But what we want to do is make sure that the biller doesn't have to touch the claim so many times to fix something. So this is ongoing work, refinement, and the better we do here, the, the faster our claims will get out to the payer and get paid.
0: So but there's I, a question about this, Terry. Yes, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Are we still getting support from Epic to train staff, or are we all in-house now?
7: Uh, both. So at any time, um, at any time, we can call Epic and you know ask for training. But most of the training is done in-house now. Mm-hmm. But if I need any specialty help, I can always reach out to them.
0: Okay. How do you think that this part is working with our training and retraining?
7: I think it's I, I think it's working very well. I can reach out to the training team whether it's hospital billing or professional billing, and they can do a focus training on one thing. We can what we've been doing a lot is is doing a lot of denial training, um, focus training on that. So um, really, the training team is right there with us through all these processes. So I feel that's good about great. that.
0: Okay, that's great.
7: Managed care contracting is another component of the REV cycle. We work very closely with contracting. Um, We have a contract matrix, which we use to try to determine our underpayments, but we don't have contracts built in EPIC. So um, we brought that forward uh, to IS and it's in discovery now for that project. Contracts in EPIC will give us the ability to identify our underpayments and also provide our patients with personalized price estimates to improve the patient financial experience. Um, it's the vision also, once we get our contracts in Epic, uh, we also, and we're and then once we're comfortable with these price estimates we're giving the patient, to use guest estimates in MyChart to allow the patient to access information 24-7 from home, anywhere they're at on their phone, and they can run and run their own estimate. Um, So that would be like the vision and the best thing that we can do for our patients, I think. But we have a ways to go before we get there. Um, We also want to establish a payment variance team. So right now there's only one dedicated staff working with the contract matrix, it's all manual, and we're trying to identify our underpayments. So that's very, very hard to do. Uh, we focus on the high dollars. We do the best we can, but we can really refine that, build a team once we get those contracts in Epic. But as a safety net and the absence of our contracts and the lack of a payment variance team, we do use a vendor that reviews all of our zero balance accounts. So we feel like we have that safety net there. And you know, once we um, get more... Uh, sophisticated in this area, we should probably still use that vendor, but not give them accounts so soon, but just have them come behind us and always make sure we haven't missed anything. Denial management uh, continues to be a challenge or making progress, but it's very slow. Um, this is how we, um, we have a goal to be at, for HB, we want to buy, be three days in AR, for claims with open denials. Now, that goal we set for ourselves. We wanted to get there by July 1st. We have too far to go, I think, to get there by July 1st. So we'll continue this work throughout, um, you know, the next fiscal year and ongoing. We want to be at 5.1 days for PB. Um, Currently, as of April 30th, we're at 6.2 days for HB and 8.4 for um, PB. Our integrated denial group still continues to meet for accountability. Um, Right here, if you click on this, it should take you to more detail about these targets and what is needed to reduce um, over time and weekly actually to get to three days in AR. Some of the challenges have been you know, we've been kind of stagnant in our, in our numbers. We've been at six days in AR for denials for a while now. So we really needed to step way back, and we designed the whole denial workflow. So we had to look back. Um, there was many teams working these denials. To me, it was confusing, um, and it was not very clear, and it was causing the denials to age So we wanted to simplify um, the denial workflows, the owning areas, who the leaders are, and responsible people. We finished that work this week. It's going to IT to implement and build out in Epic for us. So I think that's going to help with a lot of confusion. Um, So we're looking forward to working in a more simplified manner. As far as communication, aside from our denial work groups, there's really no individual forums that exist today for sharing denial information with the departments. So this is very important and something I'm looking forward to doing. going to kick it off in July. Um, what we want to sit down with individual part, departments and talk to them about their denials that have to do with their departments. And then talk about how, you know, the avoidable denials, what we can do to prevent... So I do have a denial manager. This is a new process, but she's been here a while. So I'd really like her to be the one that, you know, compiles this data, sits down with the departments and we have the the discussions and talk about trends and provide education. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Our top denial reasons is, and a payer always wants additional information to process the claim it seems. So this is a large category We get a lot of denials for no authorization and medical necessity. I'm working very closely with Sheila and the case management team on all of this. Um, I'm really glad to
0: hear you talk about the kickoff in July uh, to review denials. And I'm curious, you know, the top denial reasons, I wonder how much of that is about not just training the billers, you know, but it goes farther. It's like the documenters the staff who are providing care and documenting the care?
7: Yes, absolutely. Because the medical necessity denials, I I read every single one of them um, and what the payers, doctors come back and say. So it, it would be really good to take the medical necessity piece forward to maybe sit down with physicians and do some case studies here on why we're getting these so that's kind of my vision of how I see this going um at the beginning of the year but right now the communication is very good with case management on these areas here
0: that's great and do we think that this is all about case management and physician there's no other um documenters that you think would need extra training
7: you know that I don't know yet so I'm working through this with Sheila and we can determine that as we go
0: hmm
7: and and see
0: yeah this does seem like an exciting opportunity
7: it does patient collections okay this is patient facing work um so really we start collecting um when a patient's in house if we know what their deductible is what their copay is you know we do collect when a patient's in house um we always bill their insurance first we send out a statement for the patient portion after insurance Patient statements are sent for the uninsured self pay patients that did not qualify for any government program or charity care during the screening process. And if a patient is self-paid before that statement goes out, they automatically get their 50% uninsured patient discount. And then the balance is on the statement after that discount. We offer um, extended interest-free payment plans based on the patient's ability to pay. And our statements do give a phone number for the patient to call because they may qualify for Medi-Cal or Covered California. But um, I'm doing some statement redesign. I just finished it this week, and I want to send that in to be changed. I want to do a better job at communicating to the patient and have it stand out on the statement more that they may qualify for charity care or financial assistance. Right now, those words are not on the patient statement and it needs to be. So I'm working on having it like pop out more. Like if you may qualify, please call this number or you can go to our website for additional information. That's gonna be in the three languages with the phone number to call for more information. The debt collection policy policy we follow, and that debt collection policies, policy was approved by this board in September. Um, we follow that because there's a lot of rules and regulations on when we can send an account to collection um, and what collection attempts we need to make first before we can do so. So we, we follow that word by word. And some good news, our charity care policy for the hospital is now posted on our website. It's posted, um, the application is also posted in three languages, English, Spanish, and Chinese. We're in the process of also posting a summary of all of our financial assistance options that's ready to go. And in talking to our um, web um, department, they're gonna post it next week and it'll be in the three languages. And we're currently handing out that summary to all of our patients right now as they come through the hospital. So I'm happy about that. Um, Just managing our accounts receivable, this is a screenshot of our dashboard for hospital billing and professional billing. This dashboard goes on and on, but these are the key components. This shows our candidate for billing days, Um, Outstanding claims is everything billed, not paid. These are our denied days, self-pay days. And this dashboard goes on and on. You can click on anything and drill down to by payer. You can get a patient list of anything that's in that category. So we live by our dashboards. Um, So the metric that we're working towards, we wanna get to 50 days by next April, 2022. We wanna maintain that average until the end of the year. You know, we were reaching to be a bottom performer, but now that we broke 60 days and we're kind of in the 50s now, that that goal seems achievable and it seems reachable. But it's, it's a lot of hard work. It's constant monitoring. It's gonna take a while to get there, probably most of the year. Um, we have a follow-up team. Their work is divided um, by government and non-government. They divide their work by high dollars, mid dollars, low dollars and they're focused on those accounts that are 90-plus days and older in AR because we're high. We're about 30 percent. Industry standard is 20, so we need to do a better job there. Professional billing gets a lot of um, epic uh, trophies. They're doing very well. Um, They've gotten three trophies for pre-AR days. That's similar to candidate for billing. They're better than the top performer. Claim error days, um, big improvement there. They're better than the top performer. And undistributed days, it's uh, complicated to explain, but um, that they great improvement there. Um, some things that we want to implement and do with professional billing is um, we, we're hiring an audit firm because we really feel we need to do provider audits just to make sure um, that we're... The d- documentation is, is accurate, it's compliant, and that will lead us to where education or provider education is needed. And then I'd also like to set up some quarterly meetings with providers or specialty groups and create some dashboards for those specialties. And then, you know, talk about productivity and it'll be a dashboard specific to that specialty group. So
2: that's a quick question. Do we bill all professional specialties?
7: Yes. We do.
2: So that means we have a a wide range of expertise in house on the professional side.
7: We do. We do. But we want to do better at giving feedback of information to the doctors and, um, that's why I thought maybe you know specialty dashboards, if we can build some of those out, start meeting with the doctors so they can become more informed. Um, and I think it's information they would really want to see as well. So the team, um, the AR reduction plan is owned by um, me and directors, managers, and supervisors. Um, we're gonna have a formal, they have a copy of the plan in their hand now. We wanna kick that off formally in June. Um, to set the standard, we have a series of biweekly meetings set up all through FY 22, so we can report out on progress um, and barriers and, and just statuses, and that's also for accountability. So we're pretty happy with our progress so far, ending um, at 58 into the into the 50s now. Lowest ever for AHS, uh, and PB remains low. We've reduced our candidate for billing by fifteen point four days in thirteen months, and I talked a lot about three hundred and forty B claims, and the, that cash is coming in now. And our cash has been good in the last two months. These, this was twenty million dollars held up for three hundred and forty B, and those claims are paying. Are there any questions?
2: One more, one thing that you haven't mentioned, uh, and that is. What is our status relating to duplicate medical records? Uh, and is that an issue for us or are we managing that?
7: You know, I haven't heard that that's an issue, but I'm going to check on that. Um, I will check tomorrow
1: and I can give feedback then.
2: All right. Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Is there a reason you're asking, Trustee Fox? Is there a concern? or?
2: Well, uh, I, I worked in a, in a hospital where we had uh, a significant problem with duplicate medical records and that presents a, a quality and a risk issue for some patients. Oh, absolutely, and yeah. I, I just wanted to know, since I haven't heard word one about it, at AHS, it's, it sounds like we've got that under control, and I know there are systems that that can, uh, can recognize duplicate medical records. I also know when you have uh, a high number of, a li- lot of different languages spoken in the community um uh sometimes names can be confusing to people doing registration and that can lead to duplicate records mm-hmm. or al- also you may have patients who are using uh, identification and uh, and uh membership cards that belong to other people and that can create problems as well so
1: mm-hmm.
2: just wondering if that uh if we have any issues related to that
1: I'm going to follow up on that and particularly in the ED and making sure that we we've uh, identified the correct patient and yes there there we we have had some issues there Um, one of the things that does help us is the fact that EPIC is in all of our um, provider sites unlike in some organizations where you might have you know a foundation on a different system because we're all on EPIC, it, that does help us. We don't have to try to keep different disparate systems in sync, so that helps us. But um, we'll, we'll report back to you on the magnitude of the, the issue on the um, duplicate medical records. Thank you. Um, I, others may have questions, but I just want to really thank Terry. Terry, uh, um, how long have you been here now? About eight? 11, 11 months. Uh, Okay, 11 months. Okay. Almost one whole year. (laughs) (laughs) nine. Okay, so 11. That's great. I I just want to say that um, uh, Terry has really hit the ground running. Um, Not only has she been a superstar helping us get um, EPIC stabilized, there's been a whole host of compliance things that she's had to address. And I'm just thrilled that she's my partner. And I think that we've made um, really incredible, um, progress over her tenure. Um, I, you know, you all are are, likely not here, but, uh, when I first started and we couldn't get a claim out the door, (laughs) and then when we finally got claims out the door, they all came back as denials. (laughs) Um, it was a very, very, very stressful time. And I know you've seen it in some of my graphs when I show cash collections and when I show Um, some of the trending of some of our other metrics, but um, you know, Terry came on and has really, really um, improved not only the stabilization of Epic, but just the compliance um, with um, rules and regulations. So thank you, Terry.
7: Thank you, Kim. I'm happy to be here and I enjoy working with you. Thank you.
2: That was a great and very thorough report on an extremely complicated area. You know, uh, healthcare billing and collections, I can't imagine another industry that could be any more complicated. than. That's
7: true. Before. I would agree.
2: It's not like we're making golf balls and we ship them out and they pay. <laughs> you know, by the case. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way.
7: work that way.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for the presentation, Terry. I think it, it helps us to understand why we are at 98% of billing receipts this year with declines in COVID compared to where we were a year ago and even in 2019 the improvements are very clear because of all the the data here and we would welcome to have you back to explain hospital billing in the same detail you gave us professional billing today
7: okay I'm happy to do that thank you
0: great we'll try to calendar that and uh, Thank you for that report. If there are no public comments and no further questions, we can move into the final portion of our agenda, which is actually tracking and planning for future um, educational pieces and, and requests for education. We did hear Trustee Fox earlier, and uh, Rana, I might need your help. I may not have captured uh, Trustee Fox's Trustee Fox's complete request. I know it was um, capital designation, county billing and reimbursements, but uh, I think there were a few pieces that he was asking for information about.
2: I'll send you you an email, uh, Chair S. with that and and some other uh, requests I have. Great,
0: great. And I'll defer to the other trustees that are also on the call um, in case you want to offer. Requests or suggestions for education right now, and again, there's always time to share your request.
4: Well, I think this is this is blend. I, you know, it's, I mean, we've had primers on the relationship with the county and a uh, AHS, but I mean, if we can drill down just on the agreement, um, and you know, and the line of credit, and uh, let um, I me. Mean, I mean, I've read I've read a lot of things, but uh, having a session, even if it's just for half an hour where we can ask questions and and hear directly from uh, the folks that administer that um, that line, that would be that would be very helpful for me.
0: That sounds great. Trustee Bouquet. do you have any questions?
6: Thank you, Madam Chair, and uh, appreciation to. Uh, Ms. Miranda and uh, Ms. Manifesto, That's, uh, this is Herculean work. It's really hard. Um, I guess my question comes to the committee and ultimately the full board, uh, which I'm going to ask in. Uh, I'm going to post to all the committees. Remember, we're coming towards the end of the fiscal, obviously, and this is the time where we, uh, we, we uh, look forward and look backwards. And I want to remind ourselves about that we have a system-level True North dashboard And with regard to the finance components of it, we have six items which sit on the True North dashboard, which relate to finance, Uh, evident margining, uh, operating margin, AHS cash collections as a percent of expected net revenue, AHS gross days and accounts receivable, expense per APD and work hours per APD. So I guess my question and not to be answered now for this committee to contemplate, are these still the right True North metrics for us to be using because I think uh, Terry's part of the shop um, uh, is represented as kind of cash collections, but there might be other items. So I guess my question would be to our CFO, uh, 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 Kim, are there other items or how would you adapt the True North dashboard with regard to these system level things if, or do we need to?
1: I think those are, from my, my perspective, those are our good uh, metrics for that scorecard. But I think we should be um, it, uh, providing metrics and benchmarks to other organizations, um, which uh, we've talked about doing. We talked about doing a little bit uh, last year. Um, and I do, I've done some work on, uh, and also worked with Wifley to come up with some uh, some statistics. So maybe the uh, I can work with uh, Trustee Steen and we can maybe uh, create um kind of like what i've got on that balance sheet dashboard but i think we need to add a few metrics and compare us to other organizations other benchmarks
0: I, are there certain benchmarks agree, I, I and measures, yeah uh, are there certain things that you're like imagining that this should include what what exactly are you working on with quickly
1: we, I've just asked them to help me um, find some good benchmarks, but certain things like FTE for AOB, FTE for adjusted admission, FTE for patient day, um, uh, uh, some of the uh, some overall entity kinds of benchmarks are you know, you, you saw uh, Richard uh, Espinoza do a great job today when he benchmarked to the region and to the nation, and mm-hmm. I and he did several metrics that were laid related, related to acute rehab. Well, I think we should be doing the same thing on the hospital side and maybe on the clinic side as well. Like, you know, when's the next available ortho, you know, specialty appointment? Uh, you know, there's there's a, there's RVUs per visit. There's a lots of different things that we could we could look at. Which is why we haven't just inundated all of you, because <laughs> I do think some you know, we need to, to be thoughtful about what we where we just des- what we decide to um, include. I,
6: I would wholeheartedly agree with that. In in conversations with our CEO and our COO, I know that uh, it is their intention to drive us towards becoming one of the best public hospitals in the country. And how do we do that if we're not benchmarked? So I I, I fully support that. So thank thank you very much.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Uh, Do we have any special requests from our CEO and COO?
4: No, I was grateful for for Kim's comments. I think that we we have the right benchmark metrics now, but certainly open to reviewing those as we go forward. But I'm comfortable as we currently stand. Great. Agree. Thank you.
0: Wonderful. Thank you both. I do want to uh, request um, an update regarding Assembly Bill 32. Um, On Friday, I know we had a a long retreat and it was deliciously filled with information. And uh, Trustee Bouquet did a great job keeping us engaged and sending us off for caffeine and stretches at intervals. Um, Assembly Bill 32 is going to target telehealth and whether or not the state is going to maintain reimbursements which um, feels like something that I think we should be paying attention to and I I would uh, look for uh, Tangerine Brigham's team to help us stay informed hey there you are about uh, those kinds of legislative changes, um and how they might impact and and you know what the timeline might be and that's just one piece of legislation but i know that that was something that i kind of pressed for on friday um that'd be great thank you so much um also there was a bit of news that came out and i'm just looking at our tracking form on the agenda um In February, we talked about behavioral health county process improvements and uh, there was some news that came out in the last week about John George and Santa Rita jail and the Department of Justice. Um, And I'm not sure when that will come to us, but I would really like to hear something about that uh, this month. I don't know if it would be appropriate in QPSC um, or if that's something for the full board to hear. We can put a, a document together for you. It summarizes
8: the key issues as we understand them.
6: Tr- yeah. Trustee Esteen, I, I think it's a great comment. Uh, uh, we're closing out agenda for uh, the full board, which it comes next week. So that might be a little bit of tight in ter- terms of preparation but sounds appropriate for QPSC as we go into QPSC planning next Monday for two weeks from subsequently. So apologies. I don't think it'll make a, uh, the full board for next week.
0: I think that's okay. Our full board meetings are often pretty jam packed. Uh, so QPSC may be appropriate. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, IOP is still floating around from January and I know that we were going to get an update from Whitley, um, there's a bunch of things on this tracking sheet uh, that we can go through. Um, many, many things that I think we can get into, but those are some of the highlights and I appreciate everybody's participation in adding items they think are important.
1: Yeah, well, and I think yeah, that's uh tentative dates in there in the tracker and we can add them, and put dates and. Make sure that we address everything. Yeah, that'd be great. One right.
2: last question in terms of agenda. I guess when the finance committee reviews the budget next month, will, will we see the the, uh, the full budget with balance sheet and cash flow projections?
1: We uh, typically do the income statement and the cash flow. We haven't budgeted a balance sheet in the past but we do have an income statement and then we have our cash flow. And as you know, everything goes against the net negative balance. So the, the, the balance sheet changes, I kind of estimate to get to a, uh, to what the line of credit balance will be.
7: So we'll
2: see a budget for where we think the NNB will be it as well.
1: Yes.
0: And by then we'll know about that worst case scenario that you presented earlier and. I don't months, know if but, we'll know
1: that that's going to be the interesting thing. So our uh, finance committee is, you know, like June, like the third day of June, right? So it really cut our whole budget period, uh, quite, it made it quite a bit shorter. And as you all know, as was reported at the retreat, we have not closed our gap. So, um, we talked about needing a longer runway, that, you know, we could pencil out about 100 million improvement in three years, but we also have increases in expenses over three years. So we really need that strategic planning process to stabilize the organization. So what is likely is to happen is I will present a budget and, a, and the cash flow and balance on the NNB. It is likely that we'll have performance improvement items that aren't built in the budget that will have to be kind of layered on top. You know, we can probably likely build some of those in before July and we start reporting on it. Otherwise, we might have to report it separately on how we're, you know, uh, how we're uh, defining and achieving some of those items. But at this point, we're not going to get at our target of break-even, you know, operating margin after depreciation. Um, So we're still working. We're still... um, um continuing through that list of performance improvement items that we provided at the retreat about maybe half of them we had some pretty good numbers for the other half we're still working through so the budget oversight committee is meeting every week and determining what we can build in uh um and that you know that's our process we've got about three more weeks till we post
6: Madam Chair, um, Madam CFO, Mister CEO, I'll remind everyone that in June there are five Wednesdays. Uh, we normally have four, so the last day of the month is Wednesday, June 30th, for which there are no board activities. So, should that you uh, should, should the organization require greater deliberation to meet our obligation by the end of this fiscal, I, I'll just remind everyone that that, that June 30th is uh, available if we need to get it in just before midnight
0: right we can definitely vote on a budget if you need more time at the end of june thank you for that reminder chair bouquet and with that being said if there are no questions uh we can adjourn this meeting if there's a motion
2: so moved
0: all right i'll second that good night everybody
2: thank you good night
0: night thank you
2: night